Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello one and all, and welcome to Behind the Glass. I'm your host, Sam, from the YouTube channel Seen Through Glass. And I'm Tony from Gravelwood Car Sales. Yes, you are. Uh, Each week we get together, we talk about cars, motorsport, F1... Car, what else? Cars? Cars? We're cars, cars, cars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can watch us on youtube.com forward slash behind the glass. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. And Tony, if people want to support this podcast, what should they do? Watch it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but also head to Patreon. You can support us on patreon.com forward slash behind the glass. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Well, everyone, today's a very exciting day because it's the latest uh, episode in our in-depth series where essentially we get special guests on to learn about their life in and around cars. And this week we are joined by Max Chilton. Max, thanks for coming down. Oh, pleasure. Thank you very much. It's a, it's an honour to be on this pod. I'm new to podcasts, but I'm now like hooked to them. So He's I'm a not... good looking lad as well, isn't he? Oh, calm down, mate. Oh, yeah, calm down. <laughs> it's not that kind of pod. <laughs> <laughs> this is going in a very weird direction very quickly. Oh, I'm glad you're honoured to be on the podcast. I therefore apologise that we're doing it at Gravelwood Car Sales because as stupendous. Well, yes, thank you. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, as glorious as this dealership is, it's not exactly that warm or welcoming. Um, well, it's not cold today, so it's not that. I think it's cold. Yeah, but it's a bit nippy. I was losing traction on the way here, so it can't be that. It can't be that warm. What, what car did you come in today? I came in a seventy-three two-point-seven RS Touring. So probably not up your street. It's probably a bit a uh, bit old for you. But... Well, I've got no. It talked to him. My yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, we were sitting here waiting for Max to arrive, and I heard this engine come through, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds like an old Porsche." And Tony went. An old Porsche? Yeah. What would an old Porsche be doing here? And you bring your car today as well, so there's two old cars. <laughs> I mean, Sam's well, is not far off from being a classic now. It's on that. When do we get a classic? I don't really know what the verge is. 20, 20 years? 20, 20 years, years is so it? So it's 20 years old this year. There you and go. Ferrari officially now call it a classic A car. So, so I could go and get it you're stamped. You're a real dude, because you classic. You daily a, a classic. Dude, I'm a real dude. I don't daily, mate. I, I sort of occasionally weekly it. Tony, I do daily that. No, you don't. <laughs> Let Max think I'm cool. Okay. My dream in life. Well, anyway, bravo for bringing a, a stupendously cool car down today. Very impressive. We're going to talk a lot more about that because I say these these episodes are about sort of yeah your life in and around cars and I guess fundamentally you're a racing driver, right? That's a yep. lot of what we're going to be talking about. But in and around that, it has led to you being involved in loads of different sort of car businesses, car collections, just everything in and around road cars as well. So yeah, absolutely. I'm just hooked by the from from a very young age that car sort of you know racing atmosphere, and it's a really weirdly small world. Like everyone sort of knows someone. You just mention a name. Oh yeah, I met him, or I know him, or I bought a car from him, or I've raced for him. Like the whole motorsport world is very connected to the car world. Um, 
and it just all works in really well. And uh, the thing I love about it, it's a passion for everyone. So you can just get chatting to a complete um, stranger about cars. And before you know it, you spent ages chatting about sort of what tar or spring rates you're using. I, I, I always say it's the, it's the best thing when you get to a dinner party and you don't know anyone. If there's one other car guy there, you're sorted. Like, Absolutely. You're so, or car girl. Sorry. And that leads into uh, watches and, you know, and then you start talking about other things. So it's, they they're all related. Hand, don't they? Cars and watches go hand in hand. Yeah. And you've always liked cars? From always like, I mean it baby. probably started if I'm honest it started when I was probably about three or four I wanted to be a greenskeeper at um, a golf course because they had these really <laughs> funky like lawnmowers which like folded out and then they could like mow a whole sort of green in one motion I thought that's cool then I thought oh, I want to be something bigger so I'll be a farmer I can drive a big tractor um, you know the dream was like one of those Clarks and Farms Lamborghini tractors how cool that would be um, and then I realised that um, there was a thing called racing and listening to Murray Walker at the race weekends um, you know lights out off we go Actually, Lights Out is more of a, a modern trait. Murray Walker was the... Go, 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 go. go, go, go. go. Yeah, and exactly. then you would get everyone's names wrong and you're like, no, it's not Schumacher. It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somebody completely <laughs> yeah. different lunging up the inside. So, um, yeah, that's that's sort of where I learned, learned um, racing from. My dad was hugely passionate about it. He got my brother into racing. At, uh, my brother was 14. I'm six years younger than him, so I was eight at the time. Just old enough to start karting, but I didn't for a year. I sort of went around the paddocks with my brother, um, uh, sort of proper racing tracks, as I call it on my scooter wishing I could go fast so it was time then for me to get into a go-kart so I started at probably just shy of nine which actually now is really old most of them are starting at like three or four in Bambinos um, and then the passion went from there I was naturally quite tall and skinny so I was built for single-seater racing my brother's built like a rugby player so he's built for like touring car racing and he still races now your brother yeah he's been in touring cars um, over 20 years now wow um, yeah he's done British for sort of probably 16 or 17 of those he did world for three um, he won the World Inde- uh, Independence Indu- uh, Touring Car Championship. Um, yeah, and he's yeah he's super professional at what he does. Yeah, um, I'm good with the downfall stuff. He scares the living, living daylights out of me in cars. Like we do some track days, and I'm there like trying to find the brake pedal. <laughs> like Jeff, feel very nervous. I he, do feel like most racing drivers are nervous passengers. <laughs> hate it. I hate being a passenger. I can imagine. Have you done any tuition? I have done tuition. I'm a little bit scared of it because I'd rather, and this is where you've got to, you've got to like let them take you out if you are going to let them take you out, then scare the living daylights out of them and then leave them to it. Because if you go out with them after you've just shown them how to do it, they think that they can do it. And then that's when you're in the real sort of danger seat. So, Well, I mean, that's basically how we first met. So yes. to, for, for those who aren't familiar, maybe didn't see the video back in the day, because I think it was a 2017, maybe it's 2016, yeah, yeah. 2017. Uh, we met because I did a, one of my favorite videos I've actually ever filmed on my main yeah. channel, which was me trying to beat a lap time I'd set on Forza, but in, in real life, yeah. in my little Abarth. And we went down to Brands Hatch and uh, you were my coach for the day. And whenever it was, I say 20, maybe 2016, 2017 it's probably only a few years since uh, since you were driving in formula one so uh, yeah. at the time for me to have a formula one driver current know, uh, well, o- almost uh, current it must have been yeah. a couple of it was years a couple years after yeah. yeah give him some credit it's current yeah current. thank you <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's still a formula one driver yeah, yeah, yeah you know fundamentally uh me there being super excited and loving that you were probably inside going oh my god what is this idiot doing behind this the wheel this is terrifying <laughs> get me out of here but did it work you, did it you worked. achieve it yeah it i beat the laptop i couldn't believe it i think it, it was so. within like half a second if i I remember correctly. I remember being on the tower, control tower, timing it. I was like, he's so close. And then you did it. And I was like, yes. Come on. Um, do you remember though? Tony was there as well that day. Was he? Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't know. We actually all met at the same time, whenever it was. Yeah, it was just, just around the corner at Brands Hatch. Um, but we only I, said low though. Like, yeah, I sort low. of do remember because yeah, I met yeah, you yeah. once other, uh, um, it was at a Roman's yeah, Coffee, Cars yeah, and Coffee yeah, as well. Right. Yeah. 
Um, but I think, you know, as I say, if that was kind of when we first met, let, let's go back to the sort of beginning because you mentioned your brother, a successful racing driver. You know, I've already touched on the fact Formula One, IndyCar, uh, Le Mans, you know, your racing history also super impressive. How does that even begin? Where do you even start? So you got to the point where you decided you didn't want to race a tractor or drive a tractor, but yeah. you wanted to go racing. How do you how do you go racing? Did your the fact that your brother was already racing help? Where, where did it start? That definitely helped, but it goes back to sort of my father. He was hugely passionate about racing and had the odd sort of like nice car, and he, he's worked really hard to sort of. But he started with um, Porsches and then sort of fed in love with Ferraris. And once my brother was racing, it was like oh, I wanted to have a go. And I was fortunate enough, you know, karting isn't cheap. Even back then, it's the same now. It's just the costs just keep going up and up. Uh, but I started in the Kent Championship at a place called Bayford Meadows in the middle of Maidstone. Then I did uh, Butmore Park and then Lid, which is on the Kent coast. And that was called the Kent Championship. And I did that for probably a year in Cadets. Um, but it's super competitive karting. But and more cool as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I know. I was missing pretty much every Friday to try and just get better and better. It was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and it doesn't take you long to get hooked. And I was like, oh, you know, I want to be a Formula 1 driver. That's the ultimate goal. I don't know anyone that's in karting that doesn't want to be a Formula 1 driver. That, I mean, if you're there, that's where you wanted to get to. Um, and, you know, things went well. I was fortunate enough I could get in a nice team with a nice car. I had, like, people giving me good tuition. I worked at it and we sort of went up through the ranks through karting. Um, and then I was very early to always make the jump. So my last year in karting, it was 2006. I broke a rib. I won How the race. How old was you then? Pardon? How old was you then? I was uh, 14. Um, so I was testing uh, T-cars, which is like a mini touring car, space frame chassis. It's what, it was the predecessor to the Janetta. Janetta sort of took over. So you was karting for how I was karting for probably five, six years. Okay. Um, but the last year I sort of overlapped with testing this, this thing called a T-car. You couldn't race it until you were 14. So I was actually I was racing a, or testing a car at 13. Um, and then I did uh, a couple of years of the T-car championship. And again, the last year of doing the T-cars, I was testing a Formula 3 car. Um, you're not allowed to race a Formula 3 car still to this day until you're 16. So I did like a year and a half of private testing in an F3 car. Luckily, the MSA allowed me to qualify when I was still 15 on the Saturday at Donington Park. And then I raced on my birthday, on my 16th birthday <laughs> at Donington Park. So I'm still this day the youngest person to ever race a Formula 3 car, um, which was amazing. And, you know, those things are fast. Like still to this day, I think a Formula 3 car... Um, Power to weight ratio gives you the best satisfaction on a ra on a racing track Does out it? of anything. Really? Yeah, because it's not overly powered, but it's got unbelievable amounts of grip. You know, go around Silverstone, you're flat at Cops, you're flat um, at Stowe. It's it's just mad, mad downforce for the for, you know the power. Is it an easy thing to get in and drive? So, <laughs> just to uh, let you know, Max. Oh, I, here we go. I, I have driven a few race yeah. cars in my time. <laughs> here we go. Know, including a Formula One car, which a we can come back one. to. Yes. <laughs> restricted. I did watch it. I saw it. Good man. Um, but on that day, and I've talked about this a lot in this podcast, uh, we drove F4 cars for the entire yeah. morning building up to it. And the F4 cars felt like big go-karts, right? You know, you could sort of manhandle them a bit. They were moving around. You sort of felt in control. When the minute I got in the Formula 1 car, the mechanical grip was so high, I suddenly sort of felt, I don't know, disconnected almost. Like it was just more robotic, weirdly. Do you think you went slower in the Formula 1 car? Yes. I think Absolutely. that happens regularly because okay. I see some people on track days and they get into the, I don't do a lot of track days, but I did, I've done a couple recently and people get in this mindset, oh my God, I'm in a, you know, and they're driving. I'm like, you'd drive quicker going to Asda than yeah. you would do yeah. on this track. <laughs> Just, you know, concentrate. They're scared of it, aren't they? Massively. But and they're yeah, usually yeah. in like a nice Porsche or Ferrari and there's like a bloke in a saloon Volvo. It just comes flying past. Flying through. So, but, so, so Formula 3 car then, 
Do you think Tony and I could jump in one of those and after half a morning be pretty confident in it? Or is it quite tricky to get up to speed in? Um, tire temp, this goes back to that famous Top Gear episode with Hammond driving that, you know, Renault trying to get enough tire temp. They sort of over-egged that a little bit, but it is true. You're not, you can't get the true performance from a car until you've got enough brakes temp because the brakes is actually where you get your tire temp from. Well, I've got more balls than you, so I, I would 100% get the tires off. No one does I, I'm that. crashing. 100% yeah, yeah. I'm crashing. Your accident bill would be bigger. Yeah, 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 exactly. Faster. But it'd be faster before you had that yeah. accident. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be really slow, but I wouldn't crash anything. But yeah, no, Formula 3 car, I'm confident you guys would get pretty comfortable with it. They've got a manual clutch. They're not on the on the paddles, or at least were when I was doing it. So And they're quite stiff, so you can still probably have two or three times. Then once you're under your way, you'd absolutely love it. And yeah, they are right. just still to this day fantastic. And what's the real difference for people that don't know between like a fast tin top car, yeah. almost like a like a touring car, mm. to a single seater? We'll start with an F3 comparison, for instance. Okay, so let's care, yeah, compare an F3 car to like my brother's touring car. The touring car is probably double the weight. Very heavy, very little aerodynamics, and most of the time touring cars are front-wheel drive. Single-seater weighs probably half that, the sort of like six, seven, eight hundred kilos. Um, so power to weight is very different. Yeah. Then you've got the aerodynamics, and that is where your grip comes from. So the faster you go, the more downforce you have. Yeah. Um, so then you break later into the corner, very hard. You know I mean, the, you're going quicker, so you can brake harder. But then, as soon as you start slowing down, you've then got to come off the brake pedal. Yeah. So try and explain, and it's really hard to explain. But with a with a race car, it's not like a normal road ABS car where you just hit the brake and the car does it for you. Yeah. With a race car, you, you really bang the brakes, don't you? And then you bleed off them. Is that right? Hundred percent. Pretty right. much any racing car you ever drive, you want to hit it as hard as you physically can with your left leg on the initial brake pressure and then instantly start to come off. So on like a data curve, it would be like straight up to maximum pressure and then they call it the ski slope. Then you want to, if you can make your ski slope perfectly smooth, that's the sign of a really good driver. If it's jumping all around, it could be because the car's locking up and they're trying to, you know, manly ABS it. But some drivers are just a little bit shaky. They're coming off, oh, have I got enough grip? The art is going up, massive peak and then come down. Um, so smooth and fast, just like anything, right? Smooth yeah. and fast. Yeah, yeah. You know, smooth is usually always the fastest way because it just doesn't unsettle the car. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Formula 3 car, they'll be so much quicker in the corners. Maybe not down the straights. They haven't got a huge amount of power. Um, what is the horsepower? What, what sort of horsepower? Oh, 300? You're asking the one, man. This is on the spot now. Never ask a racing driver a technical question. Half the time, <laughs> some, I couldn't even Some horsepower. Yeah. <laughs> I never know what engine I've got behind me. Half the time. I'll save you, Max. Yeah. So, because we've got to a point which I think is super interesting and definitely the start of like proper racing now. There'll be a lot of people watching who either are trying to get into racing or maybe have kids coming up that they want to try and yeah. get into racing. When I, when I was racing, Max. Here we go. Uh, when Gob was a boy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, you might, you might know better than me. I went for a test day. Was it Formula TKM carts or? K TKM. Yeah, that's you. what I did. Hello. So, I did, I. so did I for a test day. Just for, look at me. Are they, are they the quick carts? They're two they strike. The They're the proper ones. You have to lift them and then drop them and then they'll get going. And what, what are the, what are the really, are these the really fast ones that if you're not careful, you're going to do your ribs? I mean, I did, yeah, you can do ribs in anything, really. Okay, if you get yeah. a nasty knock or you hit a curb badly, like the seat sort of stops here, mm, you straight, can pretty much do rib. it. But yeah, the, when you get to proper karting, especially when you go down to southern Italy where the tyre grip is so high, we've been to, I would do um, sort of international kart events, they'd take shovels out in the evening and shovel the rubber off the track. Do they? Wow. Because it was making like a ski slope around the hairpins. Oh my God. And if you God. went into the court, you had to break in before the corner and then be full throttle through the corner because if you went in a little bit half-arsed, 
and you weren't enough on the throttle, it would like pick up and drivers were getting flung out the car. So you've oh got to be on God, the power. Fire off. <laughs> yeah, on the power, which sort of breaks attraction and keeps it low. But if you come off the throttle, it just wants to pick up. Yeah. So when I, when I did that test, I think they quoted me something like 25 grand to go and do the next season, whatever it yes. was. I, I, I say my, my memory's a little hazy because I wasn't doing it. I wasn't a pro and I didn't go All ahead. Or paying. All paying. <laughs> Thanks, mum and dad. No, to be fair, Even though they pay for school instead. But, yeah, um, that was probably about right at the time. Yeah, so when we get to F3 level, and we talk about this, or we hear about this a lot, I think, you know, the money that it costs to go racing. So you are lucky enough to find a seat in F3 have you started to think about sponsorship? Do you have people helping you with that? How do you, where does that come from to sort of aid pushing you forward? Yeah, so you you definitely need, you know, unless you're on like a Red Bull scheme, but most of the time Red Bull don't pick drivers up until they're already at that sort of level. So you need, again, family money or you need a, uh, a sponsor that really sort of believes in you. Half the time it's a combination of the two. It was a combination of the two with myself. I had family and then I had also a sponsor, especially in um, Formula 3, I had Aon, which is on the Man U shirt. That was a, you know, and then went on to the McLaren. So they was trying to get into the motorsport scene. Um, and then you've got to prove yourself, but it is a lot to do with, you know, being at the right place, knowing the right people, like anything in life, knowing people. Who you know, not what you know. Yeah, a lot of the sure. time that is true. Yeah. Um, but you've also got to prove yourself. I, when I got to Formula One, I got a lot of grief from our, you know, wealthy family. Yeah, fine. But there's people out there now in Formula One that are there because, you know, they've got wealthy families, but they've got podiums. You know, I, I won... Well, not Mazepin. <laughs> Thank God, True. not him. But I know exactly who you're talking but about. You do, you do hear it, and I'm like, I, I you know, I, I'll, I'll listen Leclerc. to their grief. Look, shut up. <laughs> listen to Max talk, for God's sake. But it's the same back in the day. Sterling Moss's family bought the Formula One team that he raced for. It, it, it won't ever change, unfortunately. Of course. Um, it's an expensive thing to go and do. you still have the skill to get there. And I won, you know, at the time it was GP2, it's now Formula 2. Um, I finished fourth in the championship put it on pole multiple times, won multiple races. You don't do that without the skill. So then I felt, and the timing for me worked perfectly. I won my, um, uh, it was my first GP2 race. The weekend I was announced to be Marussia's reserve driver. And then I went on to be the, their race driver. So it all fell into place perfectly for me. So we'll, we'll are you, you want to say something, Tony? Yeah, so I want to quickly pick up on the, on the F2. So what's the step up from F3 to F2? And then are the cars... Are they all like, because we know in F1, they can be different, the cars, and we'll pick up on that. But the F2 cars, are they all like the same? Yes. Right. Yeah. So all junior formulas, the cars are the same. You can get a good team which has better sort of uh, dampers or they know how to, you know, there's not, they try and set up, set up exactly that. They, some teams are better at working out the tiniest of little details um, down to sort of like taping the undersides of the bodywork to cover up the vents, which actually reduces your drag and finds you two or three tenths lap. I mean, that in the junior formula is three tenths is huge. Yeah. So imagine. all these little gains, the better teams find out more than the, the, the worse teams. Um, and so, yeah, you've, but you've all got the same machinery. Um, and that's sort of the reason why people love IndyCar, where I've come from, is everyone's got the same car. You can change dampers, which makes a lot of difference in IndyCar. Um, and there's two different engine manufacturers. But in, in general terms, everyone's got the same bit of kit. I think for years, people struggle with Formula One, where you can only really compare a driver to his teammate because it's so varied. Now, yeah. luckily, the, and I, the last few years, Formula One's de definitely getting better for that. And now we're seeing sort of drivers 
you know, compete against other teams, which is great to see. Um, and especially this year, now with the round effects, I think Formula One's the best that I've ever known in my lifetime. Yeah, first two races of the season, super exciting. Um, so, so you're in Formula Three, you've just turned 16, I guess we're sort of progressing through Formula Two and stuff like that. So you're approaching road driving age, right? So for, for me, a frustrated want-to-be racing driver, I'm immediately looking at road cars being like, well, I just need to drive on the road as quickly as possible. As we found out in a recent episode, Tony had been on the road for about six years at this stage because he was driving at nine years old van der estate um but if you're racing and i guess you're devoted to racing at this point because it's it's serious formula three formula two you've got a lot of pressure from sponsors it's competitive is there a part of your brain which is thinking about road cars do you care about road cars or is that not really on your mind no, absolutely they go hand in hand as i said earlier because you, you're in a, a motorsport paddock i mean i used to spend so much time in brands hatch which is just around the corner from here and you wouldn't go into the paddock without seeing at the time the latest M5 or not, that made a nice noise, or the latest, latest 911. Like it's sort of, they go together. They do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've always been hugely passionate about um, road cars and even more so now about the classics. I just love the feeling and the driving sensation and purity that you get from a classic because you can feel everything that's going on. So, big question then, what was your first road car? My first road car was a Mini Cooper S. Um, lovely yeah and i actually had the supercharged one at the top no it was the model after that so that was like the early 2000s this was like 2007 so it's the gpo 7 pxs was a number plate there you go yeah <laughs> so it's no seven there you go it's no seven but I, I believe at the time and this is what the dealership told me it was vines uh oh, Hill. this is a lie coming i, think, I know i think at 500 the time, horsepower there was a period where you couldn't buy a a Cooper works that you had to buy the Cooper S and then get the works kit. added. Yeah. So it was one of those ones. And it was a principal dealer's car. I'd done like 4,000 miles at the time. And then about a year later, um, I stepped up and sold that and put in some more of my own money. Cause my family bought the first car and I put a bit more money in and bought a brand new, uh, John Cooper works. Cause at the time, 2000 lemon, you could buy just a full on works. And I've still got that car to this day. Have no you? way. Absolutely love it. I've heard so many people, my sort of family, parents, generation, oh, I wish I hadn't sold my first car. And so I've stuck to that. That's and awesome. And I think really? today, That's awesome. I have to it say, gives yeah. me more satisfaction than probably any other car I own. And today, my wife dailies it. She absolutely loves it. That's brilliant. It's done 35,000 miles from you. I bought it new in 2011. And I constantly just sort of get a new little carbon rear spoiler or just do it up as time goes on just to keep it looking fresh. So Very would you, good. when you had that car and at that age, because I'm just trying to correlate, you know, what's it like to be a racing driver at that age to, to me, a frustrated or wannabe racing driver or Tony, uh, a lunatic on a, on a housing <laughs> estate. Um, were you, would you drive to race weekends in that car? Would you take yourself on road trips when racing on the off season and stuff? Like, as I say, what was your on-road experience compared to the track experience when it comes to cars? Um, discipline, I think, is the main thing. I, you know, I'll go testing at... I was testing Formula 3 cars. I said at like 15 and 16, they're doing 150, 60 miles an hour and I still didn't have a race uh, road licence. <laughs> but eventually I got my <laughs> licence at 17 and I could drive my Mini back from Snet and I was, you know, driving around the M25. And I had to be really disciplined. You come out the gates of any racetrack in the UK having done 150 all day and then you've got to sit at like 60, a national speed limit. It's, that's the hardest part. But okay. touch wood, I'm, I'm, I was always quite disciplined and I was lucky that I got to vent my sort of uh, testosterone out on the racetrack when a lot of younger people didn't and that's when they got six points, lost their licence in the first two years. And well, racing drivers in general, I think they, they are a lot more calmer and chilled on the road for that reason i think they get their kicks on the on the racetrack yeah so um 
that completely goes hand in hand. And it didn't and go a, hand in hand with my brother. He was the opposite. <laughs> oh, I was used it? to hate getting in the passenger seat with him on the road. Interesting. But, no, but that's probably because the touring car was too similar to an actual it, road had, car. Well, yeah, because he fast. was at the time. <laughs> he was racing the, for Vauxhall and it was the Astra VXR. And he had the Honda Civic Type R's. He raced all of those hot hatches. And at the time, he was only 22, 23. He would drive them on the road like he was literally lights Stole out. It. And he had, if you had Jason Plotter behind and Matt Neal in front. And I was like, no, there's a bus in front. And there's, a <laughs> moped, there's a moped behind. <laughs> Outrageous. Okay, so then let's move on a little bit. What, what came for, I don't know for how I want to ask this. I'm going to say what came first. Basically, the first sort of sports or supercar, would you say, or Formula One? Uh, Formula One. Okay, so let's let's start with Formula One. Yeah. So you already mentioned you you were you were doing well in Formula Two or GP Two at the time. Got announced as the Marussia reserve driver. You had done some test work. Was it with Force India or something before that? Someone's been looking at Wikipedia. Hello, cheeky. Hello. Yeah, hey. it was the first. Did time. you look? I did look. Yeah, well done, I had mate. to remind myself. The first time I ever drove a Formula One car was a Force India car at Kemble Airfield in the Cotswolds. That's why my parents. Um, no, it's luckily parents. not. No I don't crash. think I would have ever got to Formula One if I crashed okay. on an airfield. Right. But well. yeah, no, that that didn't happen. But I did scare the living shit out of myself. It was mm. unbelievable. And at the time, I'd been racing GP2 for three years. I mean, they're not a million miles off a Formula One car. But I got told to just go out, and they had like basically different cruise control speeds, like you know funny cruise control so like first one was 100 miles down that it was like 130 and then like 170 and you'd have to just go full throttle until it got to that speed and then it would just keep you at that speed and all the aero sensor they would have would be working out what the actual aerodynamics of the car was doing compared to the wind tunnel because they have to correlate it and i could not get my head around how fast this force india was the noise was just mental it was so pure it was like a computer game it just went straight up what, what engine what? would it be v8 at that point uh it was v8 yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah um and it had the it was the year after that had the blown diffuser because i actually test drove for, actually no was it? it had the blown diffuser on it okay and that thing was mad i drove that around abu dhabi you would come off the throttle but the engine would still keep going at 100 rpm or no, 100 you know, percent because it was basically just putting the exhaust fumes through the underside of the car to create airflow, which gave you downforce. So no drive so to the wheels, but no still, drive, but yeah. massive amounts of airflow under the car to give you downforce. You go down to like a chicane at like seventy miles an hour. The engine, you'd think the throttle was stuck on, but you had loads of downforce because of the way the you know the f- exhaust fumes are being used as a blown. And what is the real? F- fundamental difference between F2 and F1 was did you get in the F1 car and think flipping hell this is another level yeah so the, when I first drove that um, Force India at Kemble on the straight line test I knew I was doing the young driver test for them at Abu Dhabi and I I don't know why I didn't think about Abu Dhabi I just thought about Monaco and I was thinking how on earth am I going to ever drive something <laughs> like this around the streets of Monaco like I don't this get how a joke it was literally a jet fighter yeah, okay. was it on the ground I was like how is this in, how is this even possible? And since then, Formula 1 cars are probably seven or eight seconds lap faster. Which is unbelievable. So I look at Formula 1 cars now and think, how is that even yeah. possible? Because when I, I think the fastest time I ever did around Silverstone was a 135. And Lewis last year was 126. He was, yeah. I mean, that is serious Mind speed. Mind and he does and it for 57 laps. Yeah. By the way, you do have Lewis Hamilton's biggest fan sitting in no, between. No, no. Us, yeah. Listen, <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's not just like, I just appreciate greatness. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you have to hold your hands. I don't yeah. particularly... That's why you're such a good friend of mine, isn't it? You appreciate my greatness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't appreciate your air. But yeah, I just, I thought, how on earth am I going to get around the streets of Monaco? But you very quickly like going through the ranks. I remember you were talking about TKM earlier. The one after that was a thing called JICA, which is junior ICA. And then the one above that was ICA. 
I remember driving a Jicker for the first time thinking, wow, this is mad. Like, I'm just holding on for dear life. How quickly, so get to the young driver's test then. How, how many laps in were you like, okay, I'm, I'm on top of this now. Like, it's no longer just like, whoa, it's, I'm actually, I know what I'm doing. Um, probably six or seven. Okay. And you know what the coolest thing was? That was the only time I've ever been on track with Michael Schumacher, which for me, mm. he was my idol as a kid. Um, because at the time, it, that was sort of, he was the winning red car when I was a kid and I was like, I want to support that. What is that? It's Ferrari. I want to be oh, like Ferrari. him. I want to be like him. Yeah, yeah. And he, he was like, Senna brought a difference to Formula One and then I think Schumacher was the next one to bring a difference. Like Senna did bring fitness, but like Schumacher brought the whole sort of package together. So that's who I aspired to be. And it was just very weird. Obviously he flew past me. Like yeah. I was sitting there, he was in the Mercedes. <laughs> did and I was, really? Yeah, I was in the Force Indoor, which obviously wasn't as quick, but it was fantastic to be around him and follow him for a few laps. And it was just, it was a real sort of pinch me moment that I was on track with such at the time, you know, seven time world champion. Greatness. Greatness. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the real moment. Wow. I've sort of, I've made this, but then you've got to concentrate because the corner's coming up. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so when you're following someone like Schumacher, and even in Formula One or, or any level, are you genuinely like, oh, that's interesting that he turned in there. Like, can you read stuff from the car from behind or are you just a bit like, oh God, see you, mate? Yeah, no, every, everyone has a different driving style. Some's, some are aggressive, some are smooth. Um, the thing I find fascinating driving styles is you look at Verstappen's karting style, it's the same to his racing style. You look at Lewis's driving style from karting, it's the same now. You know, Lewis is really smooth, methodical, not too risky with his overtakes. Verstappen, on the other hand, is like super aggressive, wires, wires, you know. I'm coming. Yeah, yeah, watch out. I'm not stopping. So that's what I find fascinating. And I've always been quite smooth and sort of methodical. And that's the way I still am to this day. I think some people probably think I miss opportunities. But then I set a record in Formula One, which in 70 years of Formula One still hasn't been beaten. What's that then? Really? Oh, gratefulness, Um, you're like this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a claim to fame, but I'm the only rookie to ever finish every single race in their rookie year. Brilliant. Which, but I genuinely actually think that's a, a pretty amazing record. Another thing like, I think is amazing about that is that was a Marussia, which was a very small budget compared to like Mercedes, Red Bull. So usually those kind of teams have reliance, you know, reliability issues. We didn't break down once. I did a full season. And then I went on to do a follow, following year and that was 2013. In 2014, I think I got all the way to the... Canadian Grand Prix where me and my teammate Jules um, came together and ended up in the wall but yeah, really? I, so I took up, it, up until then up until then it was great and that took <laughs> what it was all that about what tw- happened there then 25, uh, 25 Grand Prix without a DNF I think it was or 26 someone's going to write on this yeah the exact number yeah. but who fired you into the wall what was all that about we did have a big heated discussion about it we had a big you know yeah I still think I was on the inside he pinched me up onto the curb but then because he pinched me onto the curb I came off the curb and hit him it was it was a racing incident, but we both didn't want to let each other pass. You, basically. you couldn't agree Who was on... quicker out of the two of you? Well, I'd qualified in front of him that, that day in Montreal. And so I was desperate to keep him behind. Because if you can keep a car behind the first two or three laps, it's, uh, it then makes the race a lot easier. Um, and yeah, and it was, I didn't out-qualify Jules a lot of the time because he was, he was destined for great things. He was going to be in the Ferrari the following year. Um, you know, he probably out-qualified me four to, or four to one or five to one. But that day I just was, had a really good qualifying in Montreal. thought I've got to keep him behind me. And he got alongside me and he pinched me on the curb and then I slid off the curb and we, yeah, yeah the, rest, the rest is history. <laughs> Big crash. I love yeah, the fact that you still remember it like so clearly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so as a, as a mega fan, my, my question is, how and why Marussia, right? So uh, you're coming up through the ranks, you're doing well in Formula 2, you've been building towards Formula 1, Schumacher's your dream, etc. Is that the first door that opened and therefore you're like, I just got, I want to get into F1. Was there anyone giving you advice about your strategy, your long-term plan? Because 
I'm sitting here going, well, I know you're not going to be qualifying in the top 10 every weekend. It's, it's a Marussia. Yeah. But as you say, Jules made his mark, was destined for greatness. We've seen it over the years. You still put in some solid results. So yeah, where, where's your, where was your mindset going into that? Um, you know, an opportunity to get to Formula One, you, you take it. And the door had sort of been opened a little bit for me to be reserve driver. And that you're sort of halfway there at that point. Um, and from the, at the time, there might have been something at Williams, but it just sort of worked better um, for Marussia. And I was actually driving a GP2 car with Marussia down the side. So there was already like a connection there. Um, and, you know, it's very rare you go, come out of a junior form and get straight into a great seat. And I mean, most of the time, Red Bull drivers start in sort of Torosa, which is at least midfield, and then they work their way up. But, um, you know, Schumacher started in one of the bottom teams. They all, a lot of people do and just work their way up. Um, so, yeah, there was an opening there. I still it's amazing what hindsight is. I was talking to someone about this the other day. I think if I'd done GP2 for another year, I probably would have won the championship. But then I don't think there would have been an opening to Formula 1 and I don't know which one I would have wanted more. It'd be great because I'd never won a championship. I've finished second, third, fourths, but I've never won one. But then I don't know what... I think I can't look back in my F1 times and regret it because I was there. I, you know, I, finished, I think my top result was 13th. I set some records. I met some amazing people. And then I went on to do Le Mans and IndyCar. That might not have happened if I didn't have taken the opening. So I think... You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I'm very fortunate to do what I've done. I would have 100% done F1. Same. 100%. It's the pinnacle, mate. It is. Uh, Without sounding like a dick, you're here because you drove Formula One. I mean, you're an ex-Formula One driver. Yeah, not because I've got a great chat. (laughs) No, definitely not, mate. It has nothing to do with it. Well, we're going to come on to the fact the second reason is your your road car stories. Which are very cool. Which are very, very cool. Well, you've made Uh, me realise my decision was the right one then. Yeah, Yeah, no, no, 100%. And so, as you said, let's, let's segue there at that point. So, you're now in Formula One, right? You're a Formula One driver. Um, what age were you? So eight, uh, I was 21, oh, 21 at the okay. Melbourne Grand Prix in 2013. Okay, so 21. Which was young at the time. I think Jensen was like 19, late 19. But then, I know, Stappen and all these people come in and just make us all look like granddads. <laughs> of course. Um, so what does it mean for you and your life? Do, do you suddenly feel completely different? You're like, oh my God, I'm a Formula One star. You're being flown around the world. Like, as I say, Still, where are we at with road cars? Are you still in the Mini Cooper? Like, what's uh, that is a good question. Yeah, still no. So I was still in my Mini John Cooper works that I bought, um, and then when I got to Formula One, things start being open doors, and you know, Marussia did, they did have a road car actually. But it never really sort of I never saw one on the road. Yeah. I saw it in the showroom in Monaco. <laughs> I think it was a slightly strange yeah. thing. Yeah. Marussia on fire. <laughs> in yeah. like a, sort of Batmobile a little bit. <laughs> was it? Um, but yeah, no, I got a deal at the time. Mercedes VIP uh, were doing a deal from Brooklands where you could get. I got a C sixty three brand spanking you no deposit 280 pounds a month for 12 months gave the key back yeah i was like this is unbelievable yeah. 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 so i snapped that up so i had a c63 then at that point obviously kept my mini and i'm glad i did do that um so yeah that was my daily and then i think it was towards the end of my first gym formula one um a good friend of mine's paul jack and elliot owns romans and i i had enough money it was it wasn't much i think i had 55 grand which obviously a lot of money, but it wasn't enough to go out and buy the things that I was sort of sure. picturing. And I'd always, because of my father, he's always had passion about old Ferraris and sort of Porsches. There was, at the time, you could pick up a 355 for that sort of money. Nice. And I went down to a dealership near Shipblake, um, down near Henley on Thames. I, don't, I can't even remember what the dealership was called now. And I test drove and I thought, this is nice. It had the typical two-bit exhaust, blew your ears out. They but sound was, cool, don't they? They sound yeah. cool, but it was a little bit ropey. Sound, and I'm a perfectionist. I like things looking just, you know, if it's old, Don't it's got to be restored. Are you sorry? 
<laughs> Tony, you're going to be kicked off this podcast soon. <laughs> Fresh from an eight month restoration. <laughs> How's that RS5 that's been here for seven months, man? Well, it's been better condition than that whole thing that you've Not got. sure, it's covered in dust and rust. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Max, what are you saying? So I test drove that, wasn't 100% sure. And I went and saw Paul and he was like, oh, why don't you put that down as a deposit? Which is not at the time what I was thinking. I was thinking that's the amount of money I've got. I don't want to spend more than that. But he typically got the finance oh, figures really sorted yeah, out. Yeah, he's well done. And oh, there was a 430 Scuderia, oh, right hand on. drive, no stripes. I don't like stripes. So I was like, Whoa. I was like, what the f- figures? And the figures came out really decent because the regi- residuals on it are pretty good. So, All Ferrari's residuals are unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I put that deposit down and was paying. I, it wasn't a huge amount per month. Um, but then I didn't want to be, you know, people were looking at me because I got to Formula One and I didn't want to be seen for that young kid driving around in the Ferrari. So I went out and bought two New York Yankees caps, put them in the in the passenger seat of the car so whenever i was driving i put one on or if my girlfriend who's now my wife we've been together for 15 years um, was with me we'd both put these baseball caps on and you know we would not drive to london i still to this day don't get why people drive supercars to london go out yeah, totally. towards goodwood head south get some nice roads um and just went for nice drives pub, pub lunches and stuff and tried to sort of be as incognito as we could see but i kind of love this i mean obviously i, I totally get where, where you're coming from and i understand it but then there's also me that's going as a formula one driver he's there in his scud like cruising around like there's there's so much of it which i think should be celebrated and i think that's almost the britishness of it right yeah. you know i guess especially with your experience in IndyCar their American attitude of like success and well done you and you've achieved you know you've got to where you've been aiming to get to go fine you're not necessarily winning races or championships in Formula 1 but you've achieved a boyhood dream and you've now gone out and bought a Ferrari supercar um, it is a very British thing in us to be like oh but I don't really want anyone to know that I'm yeah. driving around in this um, I was always scared of the Daily Mail that's why I just didn't yeah. want to be seen in it so I was like trying to stay out of it and luckily I did and it worked so I'm glad I did do that um, oh. and also I wanted to you know, I'd, I'd never changed when I went to Formula One. I always had my wife, who oh, at the time was my girlfriend. Um, we we got together in 2000 and early 2009. I didn't get to Formula One until 2013. And so she's been with me my my whole sort of pre- professional career. So you kept yourself grounded is what you're trying to I'm say. I'm tr- trying to, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, people yeah. will probably take the piss out of me because I bought a Ferrari trying to yeah. stay grounded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tried my best. Super in touch with the people with yeah, my yeah. scud. Yeah. But lots of people, not just, not just F1, lots of, there's lots of successful people, mate, that, that buy Ferraris in their early 20s. You know, they come from banks or... YouTube. <laughs> maybe American ones for sure yeah. not UK ones <laughs> yeah I got my 360 when I was 28 brilliant mate <laughs> cool story <laughs> I've made it <laughs> okay so before so just to finish off the sort of Formula 1 imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. side of it so there you are you're, you're competing as so we're you know not the most competitive car in layman's terms because there is we mentioned it before we started recording this whole new audience for formula one right we're seeing it here on the podcast but you see it on twitter you see it on social media people who drive drive survivors open the world of formula one too what is it like as you as a racing driver in an uncompetitive car like is that impossible to drive are you just slow what's the mindset or motivation like what does that actually feel like or mean to you I mean, it's still unbelievably fast. It's amazing to be on the circus of Formula One, as I call it, being, you know, I remember the first time I got interviewed by Martin Brundle was on his grid walk. It only happened once, but it was at Spa. And I actually said, I can't believe this is happening because, you know, everyone's watched his grid walks. And he actually came to the back of the grid because we're always at the back <laughs> and interviewed me and said, how's it going? So I think with me and Jules, it was the first time we both got through to Q2 because it was wet and we sort of just went to town because that's the thing. When it's wet in a junior team, or a worse a team, there's a bit of a point to prove. And that does more often than not happen. They take more risks. And me and Jules just went for it. And we both got through to Q2. So I think that's why Martin Martin came down and, and spoke to us. But in general, being in a backfield Formula One car, um, you're just grinding. You're working hard. Like, I, as I said, I had a very, very challenging teammate. Um, and he was very, very good. So I had to be at the top of my game. I tried to be fitter than him. Um, I had a really good off-seasons to do a lot of simulator work and try and get in the zone. Um, but you're just trying to, you know, prove yourself. Is it more sketchy? Yeah, the cars have less downforce, so they move around more. I think we learned that last weekend in um, uh, uh, Saudi. They, Saudi. Yeah. It's always the sort of back running cars that are hitting the wall because they sort of hit the curb and they've got less downforce and they snap quicker than the Red Bull does or the Mercedes does. So there's a little bit of that, um, but it's just trying to stay disciplined, keep your nose clean. Um, and that's the other thing. There are crashes. And most of the time, if you keep yourself clean, you'll pick up. You, you haven't got the speed to overtake these cars, but you have got the speed to finish the race. So if you can let them crash off, you're going to have a good result. And what is the what is the real difference between a back, uh, you know, a back running car to a front running car in terms of percentage? We all know that to, to, to win a championship or to to win a race, you've got to have a quick car, right? Yeah. You, you ha- you, you're, you're dependent on your machine. But how much is it machine and driver? Because when you, when you, uh, if you're on the F1 grid, are all the drivers the same? Or are, it, are, the, are the drivers, the, the top drivers, are they in the top cars because they are the top drivers? 100% that is right. the reason. That's what I thought. And, you know, as you were going on about Lewis earlier, you know, he is greatness. And there's a reason he is a seven times champion is because he has always been better than his teammates. So he's got himself into that seat, which is then the best seat in the house to win the championships. Unfortunately for him this year, the car's not looking as good. 
And so it's, you know, it's near on impossible for him to probably win the championship unless Mercedes start turning things around. I know it's early, but that's sort of no, no, what, yeah. the way it's looking. So to go back to how, what the difference is, I would say it's probably 90% machinery, 10% driver yeah. to a point. I mean, that last bit, I'd say the last four to five tenths is the driver, um, which is a lot. You know, if Lewis's car's three seconds a lap slower at certain races this year, he's not going to win. What the race. does what does someone like Lewis or Max and the, the you know the real top because they are the I personally think from a from a sofa fan they're the best two drivers on the grid as in out and out best drivers. I know they got the best cars, but they yeah. I think they are the best drivers. What do they do differently to drivers further back down the grid? Why is Verstappen beating Perez? Is what you're trying to ask? Oh, yeah, well, no, just in, why? Why are they? What What do they do different? What Why are they? Why are they better than the rest? Because you all left one drivers. Some of it's natural ability, some of it's determination, and some of it's want. And I think Verstappen wants it. I think the reason why Verstappen won the championship last year, for me, it looked like he wanted it more in those closing few races. You know, if there was half a car, he would go for it. He looked yeah. absolutely like he was destined to win that championship. Um, and Apart so from he shouldn't have won it, but well, yeah. don't start. Don't. I, I'm completely on the fence with that. I, yeah, yeah. Let's not go into it because yeah. that goes on forever. But he wanted it more, and sometimes life isn't fair. But he looked like he wanted it more, and that's sort of I think it was probably the right result in the end. But you, you know, Lewis got mugged at the same time. It's it's, it's unfair. Um, but yeah, it's it's a matter of all those different elements. I think the thing it's changed since I did it. Simulators were around, and I. But you'd you definitely didn't have them in your house, and they, if they were in your house, it was like a PlayStation wheel. Now you can get a very very good simulator in your house. Um, but I think like Max has spent his life on iRacing, and yes, iRacing isn't comparable, and he still does now. Yeah, yeah. But those little bits of racecraft and like technique, as I was saying earlier, hard braking and coming off. He's his is probably like silky smooth compared to some of the other drives, and those little bits all add up. Um, and Lando, for example, I think Lando's that that, that famous ten thousand hour rule. He he has done ten thousand hours on a simulator, mm. probably in his life, and he was also out testing multiple times. So it's his his come with just time and time and time on track compared to other people. And and we we we've seen this year in particular, obviously Ferrari come back to the fore, and and obviously we got his mate Leclerc, who's right up with Max. In terms of a driver. Is he of a similar standard to Max, do you think? Or do you still think that Max is probably a little bit, you know, a level up? I think they're pretty, pretty close. I mean, Max probably has that little bit of aggression over Leclerc, but then there's times last year where I think Verstappen was losing points because there was too much aggression. Like Silverstone, I felt like, you know... Actually, to be fair, that silver one is a bad example. I think Lewis actually missed his apex, which then sort of took out Max. But there's some times where... If you're too aggressive, you end up crashing and then you lose points. Leclerc's probably that on that safer side, but you're better off getting 20 points than not getting none at all. So like, like you were saying earlier, you know, you, you played that sort of slightly safer bet in some of your driving, which got you that, that strange record, but actually quite an impressive one. Yes, of the, the of ideal the, to, way to win a championship is finish every race. You're making it hard if you're not finishing every race because you're literally just gifting points to other people. Consistency. Consistency, Consistency yeah. is key, yeah. So you had your first year with Mauricio, the second year, obviously, a bit of a disaster for multiple reasons um, and ending in pretty unfortunate circumstances. But what did that mean for you in F1? Because it, I guess it was a bit of a shock with how the sort of all ended up. But was there ever a sort of desire or discussions to, to keep going or were you 
a little bit ready to move on to the next thing? Um, the, the ending was a bit tragic. Obviously, Jules had his accident, which was uh, the sort of the, the beginning of the end. Um, I sort of knew that whole 2014, the team was on the ropes. And I sort of knew more of what was going on than a lot of people working there, which made it difficult. I had the sort of stress of knowing what was going on to knowing... I th- pretty much every race in 2014, I thought was going to be my last race. Oh, really? But we actually got a long way through the year. And then the race after Jules's accident in Russia, um, my car broke down. Um, and then after that, it, it came to an end. You just ran out of cash? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, that's the moral of the story. It okay. just ran out, which happens to a lot of teams, um, especially without a big sponsor. I mean, they didn't really have, they had sponsors, but not like your typical Petronas, which is pretty much funding the, the lot. So okay. that's how it came to an end. Um, and so then I started looking, I've always, a lot of people have always said Le Mans racing suits my style because finishing is, is key. Um, I'm great on long runs. I may, might not have the aggressions necessarily for the short races for overtaking, but Le Mans about playing the long game and you've got to bring the car home or you're not going to, you're not going to win it. Um, so I wanted to try and do that at the time Nissan had an opening to do their LMP one car, which I don't know if you remember it, but had, it was front wheel drives, so had a huge front tires, but it's, tiny little rear tyres because it was front wheel drive. I think I do remember it. And they spent an absolute packet on Nissan on that project um, and it was a complete flop, unfortunately. Do you know, do you know, do you know the figures? What, what sort of money did it cost to do Le Mans in that respect? Hundreds of millions, surely. Uh, it wasn't hundreds, but it was well into the tens for okay. pretty much we only did one race, I think. Oh, and then okay. It, okay. So it wasn't pulled. a season. It wasn't a... No, it was okay. meant to be a season, but we missed the first race because it just wasn't ready and I think Le Mans was our first race and... I was in one car. We got to 23 hours and it didn't finish. One did get to the end. but then, 23 hours and you broke down? Yeah, but it didn't oh. do 23 hours. We were in the pits for about five oh, okay. of it. So. <laughs> yeah, we okay. would have finished a 24-hour hours, 24 hour race but only been on track for probably 18 of it if we did get to the end. So, um, yeah, that was unfortunate. But at the time, I was also racing Indy Lights in America, knowing that IndyCar was probably quite a good place for me. And it is for a lot of people that come out of Formula 1 because it's the racing's fairer. Um, I love American tracks. They're very much like the British tracks, like Alton Park, Brands Hatch. They're like grass, white line, or track, white line and grass. And then... Crash. Yeah, crash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tony's favourite. But thing. a lot of these Tilka circuits, it's like, oh, I oversteer, yeah. I'll just cut the corner and there's no penalty. And that's why we have so many of these F1 races last year were spoiled by someone cutting a track corner. Track limits. You yeah. shouldn't, if you know, if cut your corner, you should have loads of gravel in your side pod and you've, you're cleaning your tyres and that's your penalty. But now there's no penalty. You have yeah. to argue what the penalty should yeah. be. So I love the American tracks. And so... I did Indy Lights for not a full season because I missed some for this Le Mans project. But I won, weirdly, my first and only race I won in Indy Lights was on an oval. And it was also the day that Jules passed away, which was, I don't know why, it's just probably one of those things. So, I, you know, I, I sort of denoted, or what's the word? I, I sort of gifted in the win um, for sure. that. Sure, yeah. um, devoted. The devoted, there yeah. you go. I'm very dyslexic. You, you read my mind. <laughs> Me too. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I deal Couldn't with it weekly. It. <laughs> it was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was a, a special moment winning there. And then that was the feeder series to Indy, IndyCar. So I went on to do IndyCar for another five years. Um, and actually, this is my first year in 21 years I'm not racing. So you have nothing Nothing to race. Up. Nothing for lights out. Off we go this okay. year. I want to do Le Mans next year. That's what I'm working towards. Um, but I'm actually sort of enjoying it i've got loads of other things going on in my life i'm quite like sort of business orientated so i've got car storage business i always wanted to start a property development company but i've not had the time so now i've got a bit more time to do that um 
And then I'm developing this McMurtry, which I don't know if you guys have heard about, but it's called a McMurtry Spearling. It's like the little baby Batmobile thing. Yeah. yeah. That oh, nickname right. needs to stick You must have seen that. No, no. With it. It, it, are, you, are you trying to shed the... I don't know if they're trying to shed it, but everyone okay. just calls it the Batmobile. But I don't care because Batman's, Batman's bloody cool. And this bloody cool. unbelievably fast. Like, I cannot, um, like, explain how fast this thing is. I was sort of Broke very... Car. So you must have seen it. Was it a festival speed they launched it? Was it was at or the something? festival speed they launched it last year. It literally looks like a baby miniature. Went up the hill. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it went up the hill with the fan on to make the noise because electric cars are pretty quiet. But this fan is unbelievable. There's two fans behind you which are like 23,000 RPM. They're like a jet so fighter. So the cooling of the battery? No, it's to suck air oh. on a, a one meter squared skirt that sucks down to the floor on ceramic plates and it sucks air out there at such a rate that it is a, creates a vacuum and sucks it to the floor. No way. And we're creating tons of downforce at zero miles an hour, right? Which on a racing car, you usually have to get two tons of downforce depending on the car. You've probably got to be doing 150 miles an hour to get that amount of downforce. Wow. We can do it with me just turning a switch. Really? So this thing is like... The thing, I've never sort of been into electric cars, but this year I'm finding fascinating. We're testing probably a, a day a week on average. And it's all being, it's, it's been a project now for five years. So Sir David McMurtry, who's an 82-year-old businessman. He's very, funding it. He's funding it. And he's very, very successful uh, businessman. He's a billionaire. He's got plenty of cash to put into the, make this amazing project come to reality. Um, and, he, and I met him for the first time a few months ago. His passion is always to have a very small road car. But obviously the best way to make a good road car is make a very fast race car and then detune it. So he's had some amazing engineers working on this car. And this is the first year of us testing it and seeing what it can do. We've been at Silverstone a few times and we're only we're within 10 seconds of the lap time that I did with an F1 car. Oh and we've only done God. about 15 laps so far. I'm very confident that I can get it with a, well, probably close to my Marussia time. So it's faster than a GT3 car by a mile. I'll make, I've got a footage that I'll show you after this, which makes a GT3 car or works with pro drivers in it. A McLaren 720 GT3 look like it's actually sitting still. But what, and with what aim? What, do they want to go racing with this thing or literally just for this road so car? So this is what everyone asks. And it was a bit of like a just a... <laughs> Can you order one? It's mad. Yeah. So the, hopefully you will be able to order one. So the, pro, the, the project is hopefully next year we're going to make 20 track specials which will then eventually um, be for people that just want to go unbelievably fast and scare oh, the hell out of themselves. One. Can we get him on one? a track? Can we go? Is it a single seater? Or two, or? It's single seater. Okay. It's quite comfortable. But it's tight. You have to get through a door which opens up. Cops is flat. Um, Cops isn't flat, but oh. you get there doing like 200 go go. miles an hour. Like it's <laughs> unbelievable. It's, it's mind-blowingly fast. Um, so, yeah, it's a really exciting project. And, uh, yeah, we are hoping to take it up the hill at Goodwood this year. I don't know if it's all going to come together, but it'd be interesting to see what kind of, you know, time it could do. Because the other thing, it's not just the fan that makes it fast. It's electric, and it's got a 1,000 horsepower. It weighs, like, less than 900 kilos. And it's, it, I, d I took it onto a runway the other day. I did 200 miles an hour, and it got there in just over 12 seconds. Oh and that wasn't on full power. Gosh. It just goes like yeah, it's just fast. unbelievable. Now, without trying to get too philosophical here or therapeutic, I suppose, we were obviously just talking about things that were your past and quite a long time ago now, the Formula One and things like that. But I feel like you've become more passionate and excited about what you're talking about just now than anything we've spoken about for the last 45 minutes. I know, it's weird. I never thought I was into electric things, but I sort of get why they're unbelievably cool. And especially this thing, because most things are electric and they're just fast in a straight line. This thing's got the combination of the fan. And going back to the fan, it, it, you basically, with an, as I was saying earlier, with a racing car, you, your downforce comes off as you slow down. So when you brake, you then start to come off the brake pedal. Well, on this, you just stay pushing as hard as you physically can until you want to go again. Because the downforce never reduces. Your downforce at 200 miles an hour is the same at zero. 
And when they first turned this fan on, they did it on an old disused runway. It sucked the runway up. Oh did it? Yeah, because the, I mean, two tons, it just sucks the tarmac. <laughs> this thing sounds insane. <laughs> okay, so we got we got to stay stay in touch on that project because yeah. it just sounds absolutely mad. Um, but let's let's bring it back to the roadcast story because we kind of left it off with the scud uh, back in the Mauritia days. So rattle us through where did it go from i assume you don't still have the scud now no i sold the scud um what did i sell the scud for i sold the scud. well when we met you had a there was a four liter gc3 rs knocking around when we did that brand's hatch there I and mean, that would have been a few years later that was my old man so it's not mine ah, okay. road trips i've only ever done two road trips and they're both in scotland and i took that one one year and i took my 50th anniversary porsche which is one that i bought eventually um, but Scotland road trips that that's probably another conversation but that is unbelievable yeah. roads around there it's fantastic apart from the fact they're full of stones but yeah they are yeah. amazing roads need a bit here. of PPF they ruin your car but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. but the views are fantastic yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah where do I go from that I sold the um, 430 Scud and I also got a VIP order for the last 675 LT Spider. oh wow from McLaren Birmingham I called them up saying I was desperate for it and they said we've got one left so I bought that did you like that car? Do you want to know the true story? Are you, absolutely. That's what we're here for. This is right. what this podcast is all about. I never saw the car. So what happened is it got delivered. I ordered that. It was a December slot I got in uh, December 2016, I think it was. And then it arrived when I was out doing the Indianapolis 500 in May. And when you're doing the Indy 500, they call it the month of May. You just manic for a month. So I was out there for probably six weeks usually. And it arrived when I was out there. And I bought it without mentioning any names one other person who's a dealer and we flipped it for ridiculous profit <laughs> Brilliant. Well, done. A day. Yeah. well done unbelievable profit <laughs> and uh, we sold it to a guy i won't say where it was um they sold it to someone who then ended up selling it to another very well-known dealer for like a hundred grand hit within a year because that's why they, they they had huge premiums there and was then a time, yeah, yeah. but the weirdest thing of this They're story stable now it it ended up going through tom hartley jr's hands he sold it to um a friend of mine who's big in the car world probably watching this who then sold it to a guy that lives in my local town and a guy called me saying I've got a 675 LT Spider to store is it arrived I was like that's my car no, that's my no old car the first time I saw it was like four and a half years or five years after coming into your storage I, yeah coming to my storage that's unit unbelievable um, we well, should have given some free storage mate yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've already had a chunk of money out of that car you might he bought that well and I still think they are a serious value for money we talk about it it's the one and only McLaren that both of us desire yeah. and yeah. think are actually will continue to do well and if you get one that works it's a fantastic it's the best car made. it's the I great it's, the, it's one of the last and I think McLaren and Ferrari have the same issue it's one of the last ones they made before they got ridiculously fast mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, McLaren inherently put understeer in the car so you can rag it around um, Goodwood where most people go with them and you just get a bit of push but you yeah. feel very safe in it yeah true um, the Spider's cool because it's a hard top which doesn't look like a convertible and then when you put it down it's you know all the noise absolutely and you can drop the rear window serious, if you can want you to can you pick up that now what 190-ish 200 210 I think the Spider's are a bit stronger they did, yeah. you know, lockdown's made everything go back up again but yeah, um, yeah amazing car um, so I never saw that. Okay. And then I took the profit from that and selling my 430 16M into a delivery mileage left-hand drive 599 GTO. Wait, you had a 16M? We, we spoke about... No, huh? it was the Scud, wasn't it? Yeah, Scud. Yeah, Not yeah, yeah. a 16M? No. No, 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 no. Scud. But we spoke... I saw you when you just bought this GTO. Yes. And you were like, I bought a delivery mileage GTO. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so it was meant to be an investment. I wasn't meant to use it. And But annoyingly, that was 2016. There was a very toppy market then. And to this day, that's only two. That's only uh, one of two cars I've lost money on. I think you I've had fourteen or fifteen car. cars. Yeah, I paid big money for it. 
in general, I, lo- I sold that at the start of 2020, so lockdown. Um, it was a 50k hit I took on it. Fair enough. Which is a lot of money, but it was. I've only lost on two cars. Um, but I, I went into something which is better because I realised that old cars are better. So I, went I said in, this was the moment. I did a direct swap with a guy that had a um, original 1974 Daytona right-hand drive, um, and he also gave me a bit of cash. So the actual difference wasn't it wasn't overly different, but I didn't do too badly out of it. And like, I got into that, and I love old cars. But the Daytona, I'd never driven one, and actually when I drove it, it was too big, it was too heavy. I didn't want to pay to have the pad steering upgrade. And I just wasn't in love with it. And at the time, Paragon had been trying to sell this 2.7 RS Touring for quite a while. They ended up having up for like 10 months. And I thought, why is that not selling? I'd love that. I've got a couple of cars like that here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it, it's, it's never going to happen, but I'd love that car. So anyway, I went down and saw Mark Sumter at Paragon. And we sort of, weirdly, I wasn't expecting it, but sort of shook on a deal with a price that I was actually really happy with. But I had, I said, look, I haven't got the cash at the moment. It's all tied up in this Daytona. He said, well, give me 12, you've got 12 weeks to, you know, let's go ahead with it, but in 12 weeks time. So I put the Daytona up for sale. It just wasn't selling. And then I got a phone call saying it sold on the 11th week. So then I went down on the 12th week and picked up the 2.7 RS. And that is going to be like my mini. I will never sell that car because I've just never loved a car like it. And that's what you've come in today. That's what I came in today. It's power to it. I think it's like 210 horsepower. doesn't weigh a huge amount, but it's really comfortable. It makes a nice noise, but it's not layerish. I mean, it's not like a head turner with these hot hatches now which like have fireworks coming out the back it's just a nice old classic noise you can take it anywhere i haven't done a tour in it yet so i want to take it up to the highlands might have to put a bit of ppf on it though have a few chips. spare windscreens knocking um, around <laughs> yeah. yeah and that that's how that sort of car story went so so i mean you're preaching to the converted here with how you sort of moved into the the classics and you're really doing classics you know I, i'm here i like the the late 90s, early noughties stuff, but you know, you're of a, an era that I do adore as well, but just can't quite afford. Um, <laughs> but if we think about it, apart from the Scud, I mean, the, the LT and the GTO, you didn't really drive them. I mean, they're two of the greatest, you know, uh, modern supercars, but you didn't really get a chance to drive them. Then you ended up in the classics. So now are you at all tempted by newer stuff or you're like, I'm 60s and 70s for life? So now I'm very much just classics, but that was just one connection of cars. I've had other cars since, you okay. know, since what have you had? around those. So <laughs> Re- Go on, reel them off. Go on, reel them off. Um, so after that, what else did I, I went in? So I've had a, a Defender. I've always been hugely passionate about Defenders ever the since I was one. a kid. The old looking ones. I bought one new in late 2015 because they'd already announced they were going to stop production. So I managed to get one of the- Is it green? It was Keswick Green. Yeah, yeah Green. <laughs> and I picked it up from Harwood to New at, at Gatwick or Crawley, I think it is. Um, and instantly took it up to Twisted, who I'd been working with for like a year, just sort of trying to help them promote because I just love Twisted. I, I think they're sort of the best at what they do. Mm-hmm. So I took it up there. I didn't have loads. Of I put the Twisted wheels on it. I put all the stainless steel bolts because, you know, they all rust to shit pretty quickly. Um, I got the chassis protection because the chassis rust. So I got that done. Put the racing Recaro seats in it. Um and some coloured mirrors to match. Not a huge upgrade, but that was ended up being a five-year project. So that was 2016. Then I went up every year and I had different things done. And the last year I went up there, which was 2020 during lockdown, luckily I was racing for Chevrolet in IndyCar, which is General Motors, and they make the LS3 block. Oh my God. So I got a free free LS3 block shipped over to the UK. Um, Had it in storage for a while, but then I got it taken up to Twisted and that's the LS3 block. They now use the LS1, but at the time they were putting the LS3 blocks in. So I got them to put the LS3 block in. 
you think it was nice and cheap because I got the block free. The blocks are actually pretty cheap compared to the overall package of putting one of those engines in. But I got a good rate and you have to put a whole new auto box in there because it obviously had the manual. Which By putting the auto box in, you've got to put a whole new centre console, um, new ECU, new fuel fuel lines, fuel pumps. It was a huge job. It took months. Um, but it came back a, a flame-spitting V8 in a Defender. Still got it. Unbelievable. No, so I oh. sold that. <laughs> I know. Five years, and I never thought, that was one of the things I said I'd never sell. Weirdly, I think I sort of ruined it by putting a V8 in it. Oh, really? It didn't feel like a Defender anymore. Yeah, it was, it, it was amazingly that. fast. Um, in a straight line. In a straight line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't and actually, to be fair, twisted, I had the twisted um, spring package on it. It was a bit stiff, and I had a fairly well. The tyres are the worst thing. You, you're governed by the tyres, and those BF Goodrich mud trains... I like a slick in the wet. You come to roundabout and you'd literally just like be in all sorts of trouble. Um, so yeah, I sold that. But the reason I sold that as I'm, as I said, I've got a property company. I'm very passionate about architecture. Always have been. And I've always wanted to build a house. Now I thought it was going to happen in my forties, but in lockdown when I was in America, I saw a house in my local area come up with a lakefront property. I didn't think they existed in where I was. Sure. When I saw it and I just fell in love with the house. So I've then been selling cars left, right and centre and things to try and help fund this project because I'm trying to build a house, as you know, in a in a time where labour's expensive and material rates are just ridiculous. Yeah, so yeah. I had to sell my Pista as well, which I had. Oh, wow. What did um, you think about that? Um, unbelievably fast. Like acceleration was the same as my IndyCar, if not more. Um, beautiful looking car. I think the Pista is one of the best looking Fridays I've the ever back, made. From the back, for sure. Oh, I yeah, think but even the front, from the front with the, the, dip really? and the oh, little carbon vents, I think it's a beautiful looking beautiful. car. Beautiful. And you had a very nice spec, didn't you? It was like a dark blue with tan Alcantara. Blue Tour de France um, with no stripes. It had Coya, which is like a tan Alcantara. Yeah. Um, black wheels. I think the only thing I'd change now on it is I would have put silver wheels on it. I'm sort of going off black wheels. Same. I Massively. don't know if it's because I've hit my 30s, Massively. but I feel like an old man and I can't get oh, yeah, black no, wheels. I have black wheels, I can't do them. Yeah, so yeah, beautiful car. I ended up that selling that to another racing driver who's now just sold it through Macari's to Hong Kong so I believe it's in Hong Kong oh now. wow okay but I did love that um, and it makes a lovely I put a Novatec exhaust on it as well which because they're not overly noisy no um, and it, had, it just created a little bit more of a burble um, but yeah I got out of that and I didn't get out of that because I didn't like it I got out of that because I needed sort of money for this project but since I've got out of it I've just sort of fallen out of love for modern stuff like I just drive that Porsche now because I don't have anything else to drive which is nice and exotic and it just handles beautifully. It puts a smile on my face. People like sort of like give you the thumbs up and try and let you out junctions because they appreciate it. When you're in the modern stuff, they're there with your camera phones waiting for you to, as you said, lose it in a pistol and then hit it in a wall. And <laughs> they can't wait to get it on YouTube. Exactly. But exactly. Thing, That's people me. are yeah. there to appreciate it. Yeah, fair enough. But I was gonna I was gonna ask, but I think you basically just answered it. You know, is there something in the fact that you're obviously, you know, especially like the uh prototype thing that you're driving around, you're driving insanely quick stuff through work basically that the desire to be in something quick on the road isn't there but actually we talk about it regularly on the podcast don't we tony that i think all of us of a generation okay fine maybe if you're 18 19 20 you still lust after sf 90s things like that yeah but any of us sort of 30 plus i think just don't feel the need or the desire for these super powerful super quick cars whether you are a racing driver or just a, a, a normal person it's just there's something more more feeling in a slower in a yeah. slower car. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I'm lucky enough that I get to experience fast things. So I fully understand how someone who's been a successful businessman has now got enough money to go out and experience the speed. First thing I can do is go out and buy a GT3 RS or a Pista. I sort of I fully understand that because I've 
been lucky enough to sort of sense that. I think now, having seen that, I just prefer the classics, more of a driving experience. Um, and I think long term, they're, they're sort of going to be, they're sort of a dying breed. And I'd, I'd love to know what's going to happen in 50 years' time. Where do we get our well, fuel from? I mean, that's yeah. a whole other conversation. How I don't understand. And how are you going to fill up a car? That's, yeah. I mean, it's it, because the thing is synthetic or e-fuels or whatever must be a solution. We, we, we think that's going to be one route. But your car, 73911, yeah. that's not going to take synthetic fuel. You won't, I mean, you might find some specialist who converts engines or whatever, yeah. but it, it, there's so much for us to There's always out. a way, boys. Don't panic. It's <laughs> not, it's nothing, nothing's going to change immediately. <laughs> no, I agree. No, it's I not going to happen it's a long anytime and slow soon. Process. And maybe not even in in our lifetime, not not so much yours, you're a little bit younger than me, both of you, but mine, it's not going to happen. That'll jump and see you out. Time. You're near the end, aren't you? <laughs> well, not really, mate. No, I'm <laughs> 10 years older than you. But, but what I'm saying is it, in... 10, 15 years' time, nothing's going to change. Yeah, no, yeah, I yeah. do agree. We're still going to be the same. Long journey yeah. ahead. Yeah. Okay, so final two questions then. So you mentioned a lot that you sort of into your business. This is usually sort of Tony, Tony's uh, thought process, but you mentioned you know, the property and, and the car storage. At what point did you start engaging with that? At what point did you sort of not take one eye off the racing? Did you feel like you had to take one eye off the racing to you know, get into the entrepreneur side, I guess, of, of what you do? Um, I've just always been passionate about business and sort of, you know, making uh, making a sort of name for yourself in something which isn't sort of my sort of bread and butter. Racing is my bread and butter. But I've also been fairly switched on to know that being a professional, I call us athletes because everyone in sport is an athlete, um, career can't last forever. And, and it's fine if you're like a very, you know, top premiership footballer. You earn so much, you could just stop. And as long as you're smart with your money, you're, you're fine. But I've never earned enough like that to sort of just stop, especially to live the life that I want. Um, so I was like, right, however long I'm going to race for, another five years or maybe one year or 10 years, I need something to start paying my mortgage when I just stop racing. So I started my car storage business because it was a fairly easy thing to start up. I took a rent on a farm um, unit, uh, stripped out, made it very suitable for cars. And luckily, because I'm passionate about cars, I've got so many friends in the car world. Some clients are coming from far, but a lot of them are local. And it only is 30, 35 cars um, that it, it just sort of makes sense. And I, I meet great people from it who are yeah. passionate about cars. Um, and that's half the reason I'm getting into property is one of the clients from there I'm going into business with. And that wouldn't have ever happened if I didn't have started my car storage business, which isn't overly profitable, but hopefully the property will be. And that all came from the car storage. For sure. And, and someone always said to me a long time ago, if you want to be successful, surround yourself with successful people yes. and you'll become successful. So that sounds like what you're you're doing or what you've started to do and it will just come natural you've got a graft obviously yeah but, but it will come and i love watching dragon's den and i love seeing sort of how to do it how not to do it and so i thought right you know there's no better way of learning than to start a business yourself and so this is my first business that i've sort of started and run myself yeah um and it's, it has taught me a lot of you know how to do your tax returns and all that sort of jazz it's just a good a process to do yeah. um, if you want to, to go into business in the future um, yeah I think it's a good mindset you had as well as you say sort of being aware of well yeah what's next and you know preparing yourself for, for, for future um, okay so final question which which we're going to make a tradition I just realised I haven't told you about another car oh please Mercedes 190 SL 1959 this is actually the coolest story. You got that well. right now, or you had that? No, I still got it, and I'll, that's another thing I can't sell because I wouldn't say it's my car. I gave it to my wife as a wedding present. But wait, but uh, is that a Gullwing or is that a convertible? One ninety SL is convertible. Gullwings are okay. the they're the three hundred. Yeah, I mean they're okay. serious Wonga. Yeah, they're, okay. They're, so one ninety are all convertibles, or you could 
No, you can put a hard top on it, but okay. they're all convertibles. I've got the hard top on this like sort of thing with wheels. My knowledge of SLs and not great. No, that's yeah. a, that's a nice car. That one. Yeah, yeah. So. You you like you like a Goldwing. Yeah, yeah. No, and no. you like um pagodas. You pagodas. like a pagoda. pagodas are lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah pagodas okay, so the model after the one ninety. You can get them in automatic. I've driven the auto. You don't, it's really bad because yeah. it's such an early automatic. It's like a three five five paddle. It's the <laughs> okay. first paddle. It's awful gearbox. Yeah. Um, but the pagoda, I love the look of the pagoda. Yeah, me too. Um, there's some nutters out there putting six point three liter Mercs in those. Oh, pagodas. Are they? Yeah. You are. It's unbelievable. What's that um, like? Because there's a massive steering wheel, doesn't it? It's the a big steering wheel, and it's got yeah. a sensor steering wheel, which has got um, like you turn for your indicator, so you knock it with your thumb, and that's your indicator. Okay. It looks like two steering wheels. <laughs> um, but I just think that 190SL and the 300s, their interiors. I don't. I personally can't think of a more attractive interior on a car, and also the exterior is beautiful. Um, but it basically, I I agreed to buy it about two months after getting engaged with this plan of giving my wife a car on the wedding day nice. and again typically things get out of hand so like the restaurant it was a it came it had come from south africa it was fairly beaten up but it was matching engine and gearbox and i paid to have it restored changed the color of the interior because it was black i like the cognac i love tan that's why i did my pista and coir um and had it restored and it arrived like the week before the wedding i took it on the morning of the wedding with my dad outside the church put a cover over it there's a photo of my wife getting out of the wedding car to come into the church with it right there and she had no idea it was under a cover. And then when we came she out... She walked straight past it. Yeah, I said, she, she walked straight she very focused it. at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Am I making out. the right decision? <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I got one of my ushers. To, I said, as soon as we've sort of got married, go out, uncover it and move it into position. So when we came out of the church, I gave her the keys and... Yeah, so I don't class that as my car. That's definitely my present that I gave to her. Um, and we'll always have that in the garage. That'll but be a lifer as well. It's such a brand- fantastic car because on a sunny Sunday... You're not, you don't do more than 40, 50 miles an hour in it. It makes no noise at all. But it's the seats are unbelievably comfy. It's one of those old classics. It feels like you're on your old Nan's sofa with the sure, springs in it. Sure. So comfortable. It smells like you're on your Nan's sofa as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just, I love it more. Beautiful than, things. Yeah, beautiful. And, and it's about about the drive more than about the car. Yeah. And so you're just going out and you're having that experience. Yeah, I was lucky enough to drive. I can't remember what it was. It must, it must have, maybe it was a one ninety. So in in Beverly Hills years ago, yeah. super cool thing, but then it broke down, <laughs> which was a uh, Tony would have predicted. And actually, the other thing, I had three M4s, but I didn't buy them. I, they were sort of like lease cars, and I was sponsored by this company. I can't remember what they're called now. Oh. Probably, uh, Alphabet was the company, okay. and I used to get a new one every six months, but they let me spec it. So I had two brown ones. Oh, brown? Oh, brown. No, sorry, I had two grey ones, and then the last one. I thought, I'm going to go a bit rogue here. So I, I, they do a colour called pyrite brown. Yeah. Which is sort of the colour of your jumper. I am like a huge brown. fan of brown. People will know this on the podcast. Yes. I'm all about brown. So that was my second year in F1. I was sponsored by that company. And that- I, my last one I had was a pyrite brown M4, black interior, uh, black black and silver wheels. Is that company still exists? Alphabet, huge company. It's a big leasing company, yeah. Uh, i got to um, track that car down as well. <laughs> <laughs> but those M4s, they were, they were good fun. But I think like, deep down, I probably prefer my C63. That It made that rasp. and it was the M- For me, the M4s were just a bit of a blunt instrument. Like, they yeah, didn't have yeah. enough. It was Very just, spiky. Yeah. Tail happy as well. Yeah, yeah. Very tail happy. Just a bit sort of... <laughs> bit dumb like a bit a bit <laughs> yeah. of thick like where C60 was full of character but do, you know, do you know what I mean like, you're going to really upset some M I know I don't really did they all unsubscribed yeah. from my channel about four years ago I really just won them back but um, yes okay so the final question which you know can be poignant and you can also uh, choose to say you have none but uh, regrets either in cars that you wish you hadn't sold or you missed because you had the chance to buy and professionally in any moments where you know decisions that change the things like so yeah I don't think you should live with regrets there's things you sort of think oh maybe what happened if I did that differently but hindsight is just an annoying thing and don't let it ruin your life you've got however many days and years and you know 
decades ahead of you. Focus on that. Um, so I've got no regrets uh, with what I've done in my life. Cars, yeah, probably got some regrets. I hadn't bought them like we all have. Um, Thank God you got out of that LT quickly, though. <laughs> I, yeah, I keep myself. I, I do thank myself. Uh, oh, not thank myself. I keep, I keep. I think I'm very lucky for the position that I've been in, and I've had some amazing cars. Um, so I just want to, you know, keep enjoying cars for what they are. Um, try and not have too many garage queens. I do want to sort of, if, if I'm not using a car, it's probably not for me. So sell it and just keep using the, in the cars. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Porsche. I just realized I'm forgetting all these cars. I've got a Porsche 50. If I had a Porsche 50th anniversary. <laughs> You're as bad as Tony. Yeah. Well, we did I that loved, episode last I week. Loved, like, oh wait, I, I forgot. <laughs> Porsche 50th anniversary. And I love that car. Did you really though? Absolutely loved it. And it I know it's just a Carrera, Carrera S. S. Yeah. That's what everyone says. But it had the power pack. It had the Hounds two seats. It had the paddles, which you want, not the, you know, they do those push paddles. Yeah, weird paddles on the steering wheel. push chip, up and then it would change down. I didn't yeah, know which yeah. way to go. So I love that. My wife used that as well and she loved that. So I, I never liked- got that car. And I love like retro and, and throwbacks and it had lots of, you had the Fook Stars wheels, didn't it? Yeah, like, I just thought it was a lovely looking car. Mine was black, which there wasn't a many in black with, a, you know, had the silver around the window. It actually matches my 2.7 RS ma- massively. Um, would have been nice to have the two long. And I've got a daily now. I've got a three litre diesel Vogue, which pretty much the profit for my twisted paid for this i'd done sixty-five thousand miles and i needed a daily so that is probably the most comfortable car i've ever owned i'm just going to run it into the ground you can't you go love wrong those you can't yeah, go wrong no, you can't. it's yeah, you such a such a great smoke they don't break but yeah, yeah. <laughs> when the first working. thing i did was go to this website and buy a, a year's um sort of warranty cover for yeah. it and i did the electrics i did the transmission <laughs> i did absolutely everything, everything. Yeah. tick all the boxes yeah. Yeah. So, no. well it feels like maybe there's another episode where you've got to come back and we'll talk more about the cars you forgot you've owned over yeah. the last yeah. few years um but mate thank you so much for coming down it's been it's Pleasure. been super fun having a chat and for us to be able to nerd out on some f1 bits and then also of course road cars uh if people want to so i guess if they want to follow you you're on instagram and social media and things yeah, like that i mean uh instagram's pretty much the only thing i use um facebook i, I sort of occasionally see a message pop up but i don't even know how to use it i find no. it really clunky twitter i've got a big following but i hardly ever tweet unless i dis- disapprove of the stewards in formula one i think instagram uh and yeah i have got a youtube channel i did one video on a defender when i did that up um, but yeah apart from that I'm just uh, okay, old fine. school and just find you on Instagram well I'll link it in the description whether you're listening to us or watching us check on the description if you want to follow Max and everything's up to the car storage the development of shout out that car again what was it the, Mc- the McMurtry Spearling oh my god I can't wait for some more content on that <laughs> um, uh, but anyway thank you so much everyone for listening for watching if you're watching here on YouTube make sure to subscribe turn on notifications for future episodes uh, as I mentioned if you want to follow Max his links are in the description if you want to follow Tony he's at Tony Gravelwood Car Sales on most social media platforms I'm at Seen Through Glass on my social media platforms. We'll be back with that. Wow, I nearly did that so well, didn't I? You always mess it up, always, mate. Because I rush towards week. the end. Just we'll be back with you for another episode next week. Bye-bye. See ya. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.